This is Canada Talks Archery with your host, Kelly Taylor. Canada Talks Archery is proud to be sponsored by PSE Archery. Check out its latest bow, the Supra X. Contact your local authorized retailer or check out psearchery.com. Target panic is anything that can prevent you from aiming in the center and shooting a clean shot. Sometimes it can be a release firing too late or too soon. It can be a sight picture that's not in the middle. Any sort of angst that you have at full draw that prevents you from performing at your best. My target panic has been to the point where I can't even execute a shot in the 10 ring. So I'm aiming in the yellow and I'm doing all sorts of things to try to get the arrow to land there. Throwing my arm, moving my sight, things like that. I got target panic because of the wind. Uh, basically, you just have to hit the trigger to shoot. Uh, if the wind gives you the chance to shoot and you only have 20 seconds to shoot so I had to push the trigger every single arrow that I shot and as soon as I came back for training to the World Cup I couldn't erase that uh, out of my mind. Welcome to Canada Talks Archery. I'm Kelly Taylor, your host, and today we're doing a deep dive into target panic. Now, as you heard from Sarah Lopez and Braden Galantine in the clip leading up to this, um, it affects archers at every level and you know, we were just joking earlier that um, there's two types of people in the world. Um, the archers who have target panic and the archers who lie and say they never have. So joining us today is Penny Heddletwit. She is a level three instructor for mental management systems. Um, and Cam Palachuk, who is a PSE archery shooter from Alberta. Corey Smandich, uh, PSE as well, also from Alberta. And Team Canada coach Duncan Crawford. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Good, Great, Kelly. Thanks for having us. Okay, so Penny, why don't we start with you and um, just tell us what target panic is. So <clears throat> target panic looks differently for every athlete and every performer, right? And so I, I have the opportunity to work with lots of archers, but lots of other athletes. I think the biggest thing that we need to understand about target panic is um <clears throat> that it is when our brain experiences fear and anxiety over the performance itself. And so some people lock up and they can't get a shot off. Some people are wanting the shot to completely go away, but target acquisition starts to dissipate for people that experience target panic. And then there, our conscious mind starts to tell us stories about what is or isn't going to be able to happen. And so it looks different for all kinds of people. Um, that's there is no one size fits all i guess i'll st start with that yeah so um the one that i'm most familiar with is the one where oh the dots on the center i gotta fire now yes um then there's also the freezing off the target mm -hmm. where you know the dots just hanging just off the x and mm -hmm. you can't seem to get it to move and when you Try to tell yourself not to shoot until it is on the X. You shoot anyways. Yep. Or you do bojitsu to get there. Yeah. Joel Turner, interestingly enough, he describes it as your body not wanting to experience the explosion. Mm -hmm. The, the yep. impact. Um, it, particularly when you're trying for that surprise shot. Mm -hmm. um, so his, his take on that is to slow down the release process enough so that um well the way i describe it is is so that at any point until the arrow goes you can back out of the shot what's your take on this all 
You know, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with Joel's paradigm, and um, I'm pretty honored to call Joel and Sarah friends, right? And so I think that the explosion piece is probably true, especially where his concept started within trap and skeet. When I work with athletes that are shooting um, trap and skeet, I think it's especially uh, true. I think what helps some people using Joel's model is his concept of the rooms, um, because if you run the mental management system and they're and they're heavily, very close in in paradigm, right? But when you run the mental management system, um, the rooms are similar, except it's a shot blueprint. And so you're really kind of splitting hairs on on what happens there. Shot blueprints work for a lot of people. Shot mantra works for a lot of people. But you hit it first, Kelly, when you talked about what the site picture looks like. We have to better understand what an archer's sight picture looks like when they are having target panic, right? When I get new clients, like this week, I got three calls for people that, you know, hair's on fire, they need help, kind of a deal. So I don't, I usually don't get to meet anyone until they're completely off their baseline. And the first thing I ask them is, why do you think you have target panic? And we have to get to the bottom of what their sight picture looks like, because we have athletes that they can hold all day if they hold below this X, right? Or they hold high from the X. Um, and then there's some that when they go to the middle, it has to be a drive-by to get to the middle, right? You know, they drive by and send it as they get there. So we have to come up with what is the issue that triggers that piece of it. And a lot of times it happens when there's some expectation and then the pressure happens that they have to regenerate that expectation over and over again. They have a lot of winning, a lot of performance, and now there's that piece. And in youth, um, it's it's exceptionally difficult because we have kids starting at a younger and younger age, having exceptional coaching at an elite level at a younger age when their brains are pretty underdeveloped. And God bless parents because we need them to support them, but they're living vicariously through the through the athlete. And then that's some additional undue pressure that takes place within all of those pieces. But I have some pros that I work with too. And I guard, I don't, I don't name drop because I guard that piece of it because it's their livelihood. And even with them, it's it's all about some of the pressure of the contingency of having to do it again of I came close three times in a row and that's what the media is going to be asking me about. And we have to identify what's locking them up or sending them forward. So obstacles of pressure is the first thing we have to define. So what are some of the obstacles to pressure then? Like what, what, what is it that they're, they're feeling that, um, you know, aside from, you know, I really need to make that contingency because otherwise this trip was very expensive, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. Right. And that's that's a pro's thought. But that's also a young archer's thought when they hear their parents talking about, well, we had to book this car and this car rental was high and this flights were high. So there's that piece of um, pressure. I think the other parts that happen under pressure is comparison. And this is both for old veteran um, archers and youth that are just getting started. And the sooner we understand that comparison is crippling because anyone can get to the same finish line, but they're not going to get there at the same rate, right? And and repetitively there necessarily either. You know, that story depends. So I think comparisons are tough. I think that the pressure of those parts. And then I think um, the electricity and the pressure of the environment, right? Um, 
it's one thing to come. We started a new state or organization two years ago, and we run three or six states, and there's a year end. When we started doing the shooter of the year and the year end, we started to see increased pressure in in well-known state shooters that were solid, right? Because there was a higher set of expectation. And so having all of those things come into play is what creates those obstacles under pressure and having solutions. Target panic and all of the other pressures that happen within archery, you have you don't have any middle ground, right? You have the people that talk about it excessively and give everyone bad imagery. Oh, I ripped it and gripped it in this arrow in 1984, stole my joy, right? So you have those people. And then you have the people that clam up and don't talk about any of it. And when we can get solution focused, so we can identify this and this went well, these are the things I have to learn about. And this is what I'm looking for in a solution. Now it's no longer emotional. Now we're talking about quality in repeating a great shot. And when a shot needed work, saying, okay, it needed work. And this is what I needed to be able to make it a great shot. So how often, um, like, like once you get to the point where you've identified that you're having target panic, um, presumably you've, you've worked through a lot of form issues. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily a form issue. Now it, it, it's all a game of inches, the one between this year and the one between the ones between this year and that year, right? Absolutely. Yep. Some of the form issues I would say are symptomatic because as you increase in tension and anxiety, your shoulders go up, you might leak pressure, right? Your elbow comes loud and you lose a little bit of alignment and things, but you knew it. I totally agree with that. They knew the fundamentals right away. But once you identify it, now you have to decide what it is that you're going to work on and what you're willing to commit to, because you're going to have to drill. You're going to have to work on sight picture. You're going to have to work on what works for you, whether it is a last thought, whether it is a shot mantra, whether it's a blueprint, but the drills that go with it are unpleasant. And you have to decide, are you ready to be able to do that, right? And so that's really the crux of it. And then not letting yourself get so far that it takes a long time to work your way out of it so that you can get a little bit of affirmation along the way that things are getting better, you know? Right. I watched a video uh, by Chris B. And uh, his, his video was, it could be frightening because his, when he gets target panic, he starts at ground zero. So he'll set up a target at three meters mm -hmm. and he might put an 80 centimeter face on the target mm -hmm. and, and he'll shoot 50 arrows. Mm -hmm. And if he gets all 50 arrows to land exactly on the X then he'll move back two yards mm -hmm. and then he'll shoot it again. And then eventually, you know, some people call it the Dudley walk back. You know, there's, it, there's a number of names for it. Yeah. Um, I call it quiet eye. Yeah. yeah. And, mm -hmm. and his, his thought was that, um, you know, if you get to seven meters and your 48th arrow uh, at seven meters goes wide, start over. Mm -hmm. How, how, what, what's your thought on that process? Um, <clears throat> I run that drill. I call it quiet eye phenomenon. Um, I think the start over piece depends on your athlete right? 
some people wouldn't be able to take that and you're not going to have forward gains. Some people like Chris totally is resolute and part of the suffering is going to be part of his commitment to getting it better. That will work, right? Um, but quiet eye phenomenon, the, the purpose of it too is that at five meters, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to look at the middle just fine because your brain is not confronted by the target at five meters. It's like if you're shooting the Vegas face and you put yourself at five yards versus 20 yards at Vegas, right? So the point of that drill is for your eyes to get comfortable in the middle. The problem with our brains, though, is that they're wired to protect us from evil and malice, right? And so target panic, as we tell the story in our head, are some of the things that our brain will fight against us on to protect us. And so when you get to 50 meters or you get to 20 yards or whatever face you're shooting, your brain's going to confront you in a different way because now we know it's real time. And so quiet eye phenomenon has to be linked with what made those shots great right there that I can reproduce at 10 meters since you used a meter example. And then I can reproduce again at 15 meters or 18 meters if you're shooting indoor or clear to 50 if you're shooting FIDA. Those are the things that have to happen for the quiet eye phenomenon to start to have you see middle, sit middle. But I would argue there's some other things that probably would build that a little bit heavier. We'll just finish up with you on this thought. Um, a lot of people suffering target panic will say, uh, you know, they'll they'll go into their release pouch and they'll they'll dig out one of their 25 releases and go, okay, I'm going to try this one, um, and then that's going to solve it. And it seems to me as though that's a band aid that really doesn't solve the issue. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if you're just trying to survive the tournament, um, anything that can help you build a little bit of confidence to get through the tournament, um, I don't know if there's necessarily a right or wrong answer to that. It depends on what's feeding your fire to be at that tournament. But if you're talking about solving and overcoming target panic, the real purpose is that your trainings have to have an agenda. And you need to be very specific about what parts of your shot start to break down when you have panic. And so you get to a tournament, you actually have training that you trust in that tournament. And then the additional caveat of that is for people that are recovering, you know, I worked in corrections for 20 years, correctional education. So I say it's kind of the same as prison, right? Target panic, that it's, it's like um, addiction and sobriety that comes back. You have to see some of the things along the way that you know it's starting to creep back in and be very solution focused right away. So beyond what I just described, what's super important for athletes heading into tournaments is they need a tournament plan. And it needs to be very specific about what it is that they're planning to accomplish. How do they get there? And in addition to that, what are the recovery strategies that I need to utilize? Because what you've described all along is the lack of recovery strategies, right? And so that's when we see stabilizers getting banged on the ground and them grabbing another release and explicatives and whatever the case is, right? And none of that's going to help get them through it either. Uh, let's bring in Duncan because Duncan's worked in um, worked with a lot of uh, younger athletes. Head coach of Team Canada has been to a few uh, World Archery Youth Championships. Um, Duncan, what do you see when you're talking to your athletes and trying to work them through the target panic issue? 
it kind of comes down to different fronts. Uh, what I would say is in Canada, oftentimes we end up as a project coach. So, you know, the first time I might meet Corey Smandich or Cam Palachuk could be I'm in a coaching role and they're in an athlete role at a major event, whether it be a world youth championships, a world field, a world 3D, doesn't matter. And that for some people is the first time they'll experience target panic because it's the first, you know, they got accustomed shooting domestically, provincially, nationally. They're, you know, that's a very safe environment. So it doesn't create enough anxiety for them to have that experience. So then all of a sudden you end up at this major event and it's like, I don't know what's happening. I'm coming unraveled. And I mean, I can give you a whole bunch of first person accounts where you're on the podium or on the, uh, the finals venue stage. And they're like, I don't know if I can shoot my bow. <laughs> and I can tell you as a coach, that's pretty unnerving when an athlete turns around and looks at you and says that and you go, uh Oh, so then you become, there's really nothing diagnostically you can do. As a coach, you just have to be that distraction. You have to be the 25th release in the pouch. You have to do something to talk that person off the ledge so that they can execute a good shot and hopefully, you know, manage to get through that that segment or that end respectively and, you know, just get into a groove where they're comfortable and confident to, to get back into their shot process. Some do, some don't. Um, the follow-up to that is, you know, at the end of the event, and, it, you know, it's really 50-50. the end of an event, you'll you'll sit down with an archer and you'll say, like, what to Penny's point earlier, what went well, what didn't, you know, what did a good shot execution feel like? And it's amazing. You talk to archers, most don't have a, a process that they can explain or that they have documented. And if they don't, it's really hard to go back and say, okay, here's here's where we derailed. Here's where you need to work. It's a, it's a very easy thing for a coach to say, oh, you need to go back and get some mental performance consulting or you need to get a, you know, sports psych or whatever. That's like a, a blanket statement. Um, and it may or may not work for some people. Like uh, Penny's a, a big advocate of the Basham system, mental management systems. You know, target panic first starts being spoken of in the 1970s on the world archery front. And you, you can go back and read the documentation on that. Uh, Terry Orlick was a big sports psych guy in the seventies and eighties at a Dalhousie university talked about it. He, um, his books were in pursuit of excellence and he did some like cassette audio tapes. Corey, you, you probably remember cassette tapes. I don't know if Cam knows what they are, but, um, <laughs> Give me, I had an eight track player, man. Yeah, There you go, pal. At any rate, uh, they were great. Like they were active, you know, relaxation techniques, stuff like that. So, you know, you fast forward to Basham was probably the next big one. Then you get archery or mental manager or archery mental mastery, the hypnosis one. And of course, you know, the latest one is shot IQ by Joel Turner. They're all selling the same thing. You know, they might use different language, but it's uh, the, the core of, of sports psychology and shot execution. And that is, is basically the same. It's, it's being able to acknowledge that, you know, that carnival, is going to take place in your mind when you're in the heat of the moment. And that's whether you're drawn on a big buck or, you know, the most, you know, you're in the finals venue for 3D or you're shooting Vegas three spot in the big crowd. Like when that heart rate comes up and you experience those physiolog physiological changes and you have to execute a good shot, you know, it's that's when it matters. From your standpoint as an athlete, what have you experienced and how have you worked through it? 
Uh, well, I think uh, as far as target panic goes, I think target panic itself is just a byproduct of performance anxiety. And that's just where it manifests itself because that's what we're looking at. So I think the, for me, the first stage, whenever I, I have some issues is just acknowledging it and just admitting that it's, uh, it's happening. So if you can admit that it's happening and you can name the beast, then you can kind of work your way through it. And it just takes a lot of discipline and just boredom because you're going to be bored. You got to work through the crap to, uh, to get to where you want to be. Right. So Penny kind of touched on this a little bit. There's, there's, there's kind of two ways of, of recovery, right? Like you're in a tournament and you got to do something to get through the tournament. Yeah. Right? Which is completely different than coming up with a long-term fix, isn't it? Yep, it is. And most of the time, my strategies are uh, just telling stupid jokes just to get your mind off the target and just, you know, you just turn to your buddy, tell him, a, tell him just a ridiculous <laughs> joke. You both laugh for a couple seconds and you get on with it. Yeah. Um, just anything to take your mind off of the stress that you're under. Because as much as, uh, you know, a lot of the coaches will advocate that you separate your subconscious, like let your subconscious take over the shot because your body knows yep. what to do from your conscious mind, your conscious mind is always there. It's always hanging around. It is. And, and I think a bigger, with your mind. And I think a bigger thing, too, is it really depends on your personality type as to whether or not you, how easily you can do that. Because if you have a very controlling personality, it doesn't exactly just happen that way. So a lot of times, if you have a, a very type A personality, you you are a very command style shooter, no matter what. Um, so you really, you have to just trust, trust the shot process. And it just, that's basically what everything comes down to is no matter what the pins do. And you just got to trust the, trust the process. Well, that's one of the things that uh, probably there's, 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 there's a difference, I think, between a command shooter and a puncher. Yep. Right. Command shooting is you're still doing it with control. You yep. just happen to know exactly when it's going off. Deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Pun punching is, um, you know, it's a drive by. Get her gone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, I, I think I think it's important to point out that, you know, we all strive for that perfect surprise release. But it may not always happen and it's not necessarily a bad thing if it doesn't. Well, I mean, I shoot a hinge. Um, I was a command style shooter for a lot of years, but even shooting any type of resistance release or anything else, you have a pretty good idea of when it's going to go. So it, all you can do is set your body up for success. Yeah. And then just trust the process. But um, when stuff starts to derail, you have to do something to take your mind off of the stress because the stress is what's causing the anxiety. And once you can do that, your, your body can calm down a little bit and you can get refocused. Right. So let's bring Cam in. Cam, what, uh, what have you experienced and, and how have you worked through it? Um, the worst I've experienced was right before Vegas last year. I think it was like three or four days before I was going getting back to my back wall, seeing the target, not even through the scope. And I was just punching it off. Like I, I had it bad. Um, and that whole time it was 
just thinking, oh my gosh, I have to go to Vegas. Like, what's going to happen in Vegas if I'm shooting like this? Um, but I, I kind of took a step back and instead of focusing on like what was coming up, I just focused on now. Um, and the way I work through it um, is just take your release, tighten it all the way down. If you have like a stand, you can put those locks in it. Um, but just make it as tight as you can draw back, put your thumb on and just look at the target. Don't even like try and don't try and get the arrow off. Just look at the target and then let back down. And you just, after enough of doing that, it trains your brain. That, okay. I don't need to get this off. I don't need to, to be shooting it. I don't need to be doing a drive by. Um, and it just, for me, it works. Um, I don't know about other people, but so basically training yourself to aim. Yeah, Again. more or less. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know George Riles, he he describes target panic as an aiming issue. Um yeah. and and I think I think everybody that weighs in on target panic is correct in their own way. So um one of the things that George says that that I think really helps is he says, you know, when when the nerves are are at their worst, that's when you just tell yourself, look. I'm just going to go shoot bow. I'm just shooting yeah. my bow. It's the same distance. It's the same target. Um, so we heard Braden Gallantine talking about target panic before. And if I'd played the rest of that clip, it would have gone into his strategy. And that is uh, blank bailing with a target. Because he he figures that uh, one of the things that happens is you're, you're shooting at a, at a blank target and everything's going great and then you put a target up and it's like oh there's a target there oh no and then target panic comes back again so his strategy is he just shoots at a at a target and doesn't pay attention to where the arrow's landing he's just shooting and um that way he's never not seeing the target in his sight picture uh, john dudley uh he recommends uh in some cases taking a photocopy of a target and shrinking it down so that you can attach it to the front of your lens, front of your scope, right? So that no matter where your bow is aiming, you're looking at the target. And no matter what you do, you're you're, the target's always going to be perfectly centered and, it's, and the dot's going to be perfectly on the X. And just drawing back, holding. Yeah, okay, that looks really good. Letting down. Drawing back, holding. That looks really good. Um, and then of course there's the, the Chris B approach that I mentioned where, you know, you, you just walk, walk back, you know, 50 shots at five yards, 50 shots at seven yards, 50 shots at 10 yards, um, until you're comfortable shooting at the full distance. So, um, Duncan, what is, what's, what are your thoughts on either the John Dudley approach, the Braden Galantine approach or the Chris B approach? But uh, I think you touch on a couple important points there. One is <clears throat> there's there's all truisms like somewhere along the line you got to be able to aim in the middle at the target, like that's unavoidable. You can't blank bail forever and become a, a world class archer. Um, the other side of it is different approaches are going to work for different archers, you know. And seeing a young kid that has target panic for the first time can be pretty heartbreaking because. I've literally seen them where they can't draw the bow. They can't even get halfway back and they're letting it go. And then there's tears streaming down the face and everything else. And and it it's pretty tough. 
Um, and you're trying to explain to them that, oh, this happens to everybody, even the pros. And when it's, you know, I, I can tell you firsthand when it's your nine-year-old daughter, it's it's literally heartbreaking, you know, you're and you can't rationalize it for them or anything else. And kind of to answer your question, for some people, they they literally need to take a break. They need to just step back, potentially not shoot for a little bit just to get over that that literal fear of shooting the bow, you know. Um, and I, you know, Griv, uh, does a great job. The bulletproof your shot video is an excellent explanation of how you get there. How a lot of people get there is just bad habit forming, bad sight mechanics. And then, you know, they set themselves up for down the road for, you know, target panic. Uh, but, um, the process I use generally is pretty similar to, um, what you talked about. Oftentimes it's just, you know, taking the, uh, cam touched on it too, you know, using a draw check tool, draw back, hold anchor, aim, just look, just look through the bow and hold it at full draw and then let down, you know, and you do that 20, 30 times. It's exhausting. I find it twice as hard to let down as it is to hold the bow back. You know, once you feel that you can comfortably and confidently hold the bow, and in Cam's case, he has a lot more depth of experience, so it's going to go very quickly. For a younger, inexperienced archer, that could be a longer process. Then it's, you know, very close blank bail target shooting, just getting that shot process down. If they have to close their eyes to execute the shot, so be it. In some cases, I've literally taken the sight off the bow. Um, the Dudley thing where you put a, a photo photocopy or shrunk down target in the lens. I've done that. I've used yellow cue cards and different things just so that your brain is trained to always be seeing yellow. And that's for some people it works for some people. It's really unnerving because it's an unnatural view to be in the scope like that. But, uh, and then I do believe you just gradually work back. If you can get that, that target back to normal competitive distance and you can aim in the middle and be comfortable and confident. Great. Uh, the other reality is, and I have senior national team athletes, para and able, that have experienced that start out the season and they're rocking and rolling, and by the end of the season they're they're aiming sub six where they can, you know, I've had athletes that they can just barely see the yellow in the top of their scope, you know, and that's how that's how they have to shoot to to get through the season, and then in the off season they correct it again. Yeah, sometimes the the pressure of builds through the season, right? Because you, as Penny mentioned, you experience a little success here, you experience a little success here. And then, you know, by the end of the season, your your brain is telling you that, uh, you know, look, if you don't, if you don't experience success here, you're an idiot. Yep. Right. And, and then that all creeps in. So Corey, I'm interested in your thoughts on this and that is, and Duncan, you mentioned the bulletproof video. So you'll recognize where this comes from, but um, it starts I think for a lot of archers, the very first time they ever pick up a bow, right? Because archer walks into an archery range and says, yeah, I'd like to try archery. What do I do? And the uh, the very helpful person behind the counter says, okay, well, here's, let's see if this bow is right for you. Draw it back. You know, we'll figure out your eye dominance and all that. And and then, uh, then they go to the range and said, okay, load the arrow, draw back. And uh, when you see that the uh, the pin is on the X, pull the trigger. Yeah, right. that was pretty much uh, pretty much my introduction to archery. <laughs> um, just put the pin in the middle, pull the trigger, and away you go. Yeah, yeah. So, 
you know, when I when I'm dealing with a with a new archer that's you know never shot before, I'll try to tell them, look, it's it's easier to stop bad habits from forming than it is to fix bad habits once they've started. So I'll try and get them to, you know, pull through the shot or you know keep you know if they're using the the no gloves to keep pulling until it goes that kind of thing. Right. Um, but especially at the new archer stage, it's really challenging to to get them to understand that, um, you know, the pin's going to float and that's perfectly natural. And the way you work around that is you execute properly so that by the time the release goes off, it's back in the middle again. Yeah. It's, but without uh, forcing it, right? It's a, uh, it's a mind torture some days to, to understand that the float needs to happen. Um, I think, a lot of subgrade target panic is trying to control the pin um, because they cannot trust that it's going to be back in the middle. So it comes back to a lot of trust in, in the, in the process itself. And some people never really get to understand that and they'll only get to a certain level until they can break through that barrier. It took uh, took me a while before I could actually trust the float. And, you know, once you can get away from staring at the pin, dancing everywhere and just look in the middle and just keep pulling your bow until it goes. I mean, that uh, that took me a while. But so yeah, far, it's, it's hard to that, it seems to be OK. It's hard to convince yourself that, you know, just pulling is going to get the, the, the hinge to rotate enough or that you know you can just keep your thumb against the barrel and pull and you know have the release move into the thumb rather than the thumb into the barrel um but um the yeah, other... a lot of times a lot of times when i'm when i'm pulling i'm just a little voice comes on in the back of my head pull you coward <laughs> <laughs> the other exercise i saw that i thought was pretty cool and maybe cam you could talk about this a little bit um it's Put a target up at the at the at the bale. Go back to the shooting line and put a target up at the shooting line, and draw back. Put your put your pin on the target, and watch what happens to the pin, right? And as it's doing its figure eight or whatever around there, let down, take out a sharpie, and draw that pattern on the target that's right by you, right? And use that to convince yourself that this float isn't really going as far as I think it is. You know, it's, yeah. it's just sort of maybe dancing around the Vegas 10. So, you know, what, what am I so worried about? Cam, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, and like you can do that and it's great. There's also um, little devices you can like put on your bow that'll show you how you're aiming and stuff. Um, and that can do the same thing as well. Um, but a big thing is not actually watching your pin. I found like... I can't shoot a pin for target because I end up, my eye gets drawn to the pin. Um, and then I end up looking at the pin instead of the target. And then you're just focusing on how bad it's holding and you're not relaxing. And then you end up forcing it off or you're punching it off. Um, so it's a lot, for me at least, it's a lot better to just focus on the target and just let the, let the pin, pin do its thing. Um, and just trust to make sure that, or trust, it'll just go to the middle and it seems to more often than not well hopefully more often than not anyways 
Yeah. Yeah. One and, of the things that, oh, sorry, Duncan, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to chime in. Cam brought up a really good point, and I kind of touched on it earlier, but um, I was really surprised with some some like pretty high caliber archers that I've worked with. You ask them, what is your shot process? Like, do you have it? Do you have it documented? Do you understand what it is? Most don't, uh, in my experience. The odd time you talk to somebody and they do, and they have it meticulously documented. You know, the fact that Cam knows that he looks at the target versus the pin. I mean, visually, optically, our, our, our physical eye can only see one or the other. We can be aware of both, but we can't focus in two planes at once. It's just how our we're you know, biologically evolved, you know, our eyeball can only focus on either the pin or the target. So we focus on the target and we see the pin within it, or we focus on the pin and we let it float within the target. That's a key detail. And it, it touches on a bigger issue. One of the biggest things that I see that affects people at major events, especially in the target side of archery is they, there's a, there's a level of confidence because they've, they're they're at this level or they're on a national team or whatever they get there and then they become very vulnerable because they have that like stress is self-imposed we know that uh but all of a sudden this neurosis that i I didn't prepare enough i didn't work hard enough i didn't do the you know and that touches on another thing the the more you train the more prepared you are the more confidence you have the less likely you are to to break down in the moment uh and again, if you if you have a process that you know that process inside out and you could write it down word for word, that's going to go a long way to helping your confidence and your ability to shoot because that's your focus, not, not again, that circus that's going on in the background, which is going to happen to any of us in, in the least convenient time. It Pretty seems, simple practice. Right. It seems to me as though what you're saying basically is that an amateur practices until he gets it right. And a professional practices until he can't get it wrong. Yep. Um, the other thought that occurred to me as I was watching a John Dudley video, he was talking about what Cam was talking about, focusing on the target and also focusing on a spot on the back wall directly opposite the X and having all of your motion go through that plane, right? So that you're, you're focusing on the back half of your body going towards that point in the back wall and the front half of your body sort of pushing towards a target. And it struck me as though a lot of this is just retraining yourself on the proper form of shooting. Yeah. Um, hopefully the guys have something to chime in here too, because they're, they're more active shooters than I am. But from my perspective and my experience, like, the more I can focus on the target, like when I'm practicing, I practice on form and execution and process and all that. And that's when I'll think about follow through and all those other things. When it comes down to shooting, you know, whether I'm at Vegas or a local provincial shoot, I just want to focus on, on shooting the very center of that target. And we touched on it earlier, but in Bulletproof Your Shot by Griv, he talks, the minute you start thinking about your back wall or your release hand, your, your brain shifts. You know, so, I mean, for some people that is going to throw them off and, and like we've practiced it, I'll say, focus on your, your release hand and those arrows all of a sudden start going right because the archer's perspective is no longer on the center of the target and executing a perfect shot. 
they're thinking about a different form element when they should be focused on aiming and executing. Um, again, different for different people. I think the preparation, that time in the gym, so to speak, that's where you can evolve all those other processes. When it comes down to shooting axes, you need to be able to focus 100% of your attention and attention on the center of the target and shooting bullseyes. You have to have just absolute confidence in everything else involving your shot so that you don't actually have to think about it. That's just my perspective. You know, I'd love to hear from the guys. And that's when like blind failing and stuff comes in handy too, is you're actually trusting your process. You know what your form feels like and you know what it should be. Um, and if you don't have time where you're not shooting at a target, you're not just focused on the target, then you're not, you're not going to get that. Right. And, and I guess, um, you know, in, in Dudley's defense, he, he was talking about a practice technique um, so that it's something that becomes ingrained. And then when you get up to a tournament and you see the target there, this all just happens automatically. It's something that you program into your subconscious, right? Well, and I think that's uh, that's when training with a purpose really comes into play. You're not just going and shooting your bow. You're physically working towards a goal and an end game. Right. And I think a lot of people where they run into issues is because they just they just show up and shoot their bow. Right. You you are you should be actively always working on something, uh, self-diagnosis, um, whatever the issue you're having uh, that you need to work on. You know, if you're if you notice you're really struggling aiming. OK, well, I know I'm struggling aiming. Let's let's break things down. Let's move the target around and let's let's start working towards the end goal. And I think that's um, that's something that I think more of the high caliber archers are doing is just they realize there's an issue. They actively work towards a solution instead of just, I don't know, I'm not shooting that good today. I'll just put my bow away and come back tomorrow. All right. Yep. So we're getting up to uh, close to uh, 50 minutes here. So um, let's wrap up maybe with uh, with a quick rapid fire. Uh, Duncan, button, hinge, or tension hinge Corey, i shoot a hinge for the most part uh still shoot an index finger for hunting and sometimes uh -huh. i'll Dude. pull out a button but uh, most times it's the hinge for uh, for anything uh competition wise what about you cam some all the way oh, that's all i shoot now are you a command shooter or are you going for that surprise release I know when it's going off just because I've done it so much, but I, in the same sense, I don't know when it's going off. Like, it's just, it's a surprise release, but I know generally when it's going to go off. Okay. Duncan Crawford, uh, head coach for Team Canada. Uh, Corey I have a couple, I have a couple anecdotes, Kelly. Sorry. Okay, um, go ahead. If we have time, just uh, two things and, you know, the guys may like this or not. Strangely, a young guy I met in Rosario, Argentina in the 2017 World Youth Championships, Gurjitender Singh, shot for the Indian national team. Strangely, he moved to Toronto, him and his brother. Um, one of our national development coaches is Teja Jianjuat Singh uh, out of Peel. Um, he just won the head coach uh, for all sport in India. That comes with like an Indian national tour, 
a whole bunch of dollars. Um, it's an unbelievable thing. If you look him up, if you look up Teja Singh, uh, this guy is like it. And if you know how successful India has been in the last two to three years in every facet of archery, he is basically the godfather. So he reached out to me and said, hey, this young guy's moving to PEI. Can you help him find a job? So I was trying to help him find a job. Anyway, I ended up hiring him at my most recent company. He's still there. He uh, he has an automobile passion. Really cool guy. He's now doing all my Saturday lessons. He's at the club all the time. Really cool dude. Uh, he shot against Tristan in 2017, actually, at World Youth. Um, anyway, I talked to him. I said, do, do you guys talk about Target Panic in India? Because, you know, I've seen some... I've seen Schlusser have it. I've seen Becerra have it. I've, you know, and we see it on TV, right? And that's a tough spot to be. But I've not really seen it happen to too many Indian archers, you know. So I said, like, how do you guys address it? And he said, well, historically, we didn't talk about it. Like, it was like, it, it didn't exist. And he said, but the reality is it affects everybody. They have, an, they have a really unique process for developing archers in India. And they have the luxury of millions of people, so they can afford to do that. It would never work in our system. But he basically said, now it's put out there as like, just you have to get through it. You have to you have to experience it because once you do, and once you overcome it, then you're bulletproof. You'll you'll be able to overcome anything. So very different perspective. He said we've actually like within the Indian national system, like people are, are excited to experience it for the first time, like because once you get it then you can address it until you have it. You, you can talk about it. Nobody actually knows what it means until you're in the shit, right. Pardon the French Kelly. You can audio edit that. But uh, um, that was a, a really good anecdote. Um, the last couple of events that I got to do were with Ron Vanderhoff, who longtime head coach of the Dutch national team, the Netherlands, um, former Paralympic or former Olympic athlete and uh, Olympic medal winning coach. Um, for the Dutch. And I had a ton of opportunity to talk to him about process and development and and training plans. So a big thing we talk about in Canada and CompDev is training plans, helping athletes develop a training plan and so on. And I try and meet everybody at their level. And he said, no, 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 never mind that. He said, within a system, you, the coach, prescribe the plan. So Mike Schlosser was the first and only compound archer to ever join the recurve program where he lived full-time in um oh my uh, little shawl in the dutch national system from the age of 14 he was fully ingrained as a recurve archer even though he's a compound and he he lived and trained like a recurve archer and he said but the the bottom line is to have the competence to show up anywhere and shoot competently is to shoot you have to shoot 200 arrows a day we prescribe it I, I'm going to tell Corey and Cam, you got to go shoot 200 arrows a day. Whether you do it is up to you. You know, that's a system. And whether you do this or do that or do the other, it doesn't matter, but that's a system. This is what we're prescribing. You go ahead and do it. The It's up to the athletes if they want to walk through the door. And, and target panic is very much like that. Some of our athletes only experience it when they're at a major event. So that's when we get to talk about it and then they go home and they never feel it again. So they never want to talk about it. They never want to deal with it. And it doesn't come up again until they're at their next world cup or their next world championship. So if you don't get home and develop a process that allows you to be confident, 
it's going to be a recurring theme, unfortunately. Um, and regardless of all the systems, and I, I subscribe to all of them. I have Joe's system on my laptop. I have Vertry Mental Mastery, all, all the books, all the everything. They're all great, but in one form or another, they're basically selling the same thing. And it's, it's the same as weight training or anything else. If you don't go home and do the work, you're going to struggle to truly overcome it when it matters most. Okay, very good. Well, Duncan Crawford, Team Canada head coach. Corey Smandich, PSC shooter from Alberta. Cam Palachuk, also PSC shooter from Alberta. Thanks for being on Canada Talks Archery. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Kelly. Great show.